welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. the last uh, two Sunday and uh, last night we've been moving through one great account in the Gospel of Matthew about the announcement of the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth is described, and his purpose and mission. And so we're going to read through the text again and we're going to spend time today on the last two verses really, or two of the last, the later verses about Emmanuel. But let us together hear the story that is contained for us in the Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Commanded him rather, He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the greatness of this story and the power of the one who came become real for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Before we move into the preaching of the word, I want to just make a personal announcement for our church family. As you know, we've been on a search for quite a long time for an associate pastor to join our pastoral team and I'm pleased to announce to you that Pastor Dan Starcevich uh, will be joining our team. He will be relocating, he and his wife Sherry, from uh, Estes Park, Colorado, uh, here to the valley. And uh, they hope, Lord willing, to begin uh, his ministry with us on January 30th. So we're very grateful to the Lord and uh, excited, thankful for God's leading and God's timing in all of this. So be praying for Pastor Dan Starcevich from Estes Park, Colorado, his wife Sherry, coming to be part of our team soon. God's always on the move, and he's always working, isn't he? And we're so grateful that uh, we've been able to see his hand in all of this. Well, you know, one of the things that makes Christmas such a memorable time of year is the music, right? I mean, we've enjoyed so much of it here with some of the new songs we've heard. But it's the great uh, traditional hymns of Christmas that mean the most 
Isn't that true? You know, and, and after a while, you go through a number of Christmases, and you know the old problem. The songs get stuck in your head all the time, especially when the radio stations start playing them in July. I mean, it's a thing. And, and so the, the, the music kind of gets get run into your head, and, and you can often recite the words without even thinking about it. But the hymns are so grand and the truths are so great that uh, you have majesty rolling through your mind and you don't even really give it a thought anymore. And, and uh, when, you, when you think about one of the songs that we sang earlier, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that's especially true. I mean, if you sing that song, even though it just might be troping through your mind, do you realize that you are singing perfectly crafted theology that proclaims the message of the gospel? That's, that, that's the, the words of that song. And I wonder if you've ever paused to think about that. I mean, it has a rich tradition, and it has an even more interesting story. Uh, it is one of the over 6,000 hymns that were written by a believer named Charles Wesley. He was an English pastor and mostly hymn writer in the, in the 1700s in England. He wrote over 6,000 hymns. And uh, he wrote hymns because uh, he wanted to take the deep teaching of the Bible and put it into melodies and words that the poor who couldn't read could, could remember so that they could get the teaching of the Bible into their hearts and minds. That was the goal of hymn writing back in those days. It was an art form, and it was wildly popular for that reason. People couldn't read, or they didn't have a copy of the scriptures, and, and so it was a way of enlivening theology. Now, Wesley was uh, born again as an adult, and, and uh, he uh, was a year old in Christ in 1738, only a year old in the Lord, and uh, he was walking to church on Christmas Day in London, and the bells were ringing, and it just brought into his mind that they were like angels around the city calling people to remember the birth of Jesus, and so he got home that evening, and he wrote, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. He wrote it originally as a poem, and it was put into an anthology of poems written in England in the next few years. And it wasn't until about 20 years later when a friend of his, George Whitfield, you might know him, he was one of the greatest evangelists in history and a great pastor, he uh, liked the hymn, uh, pardon me, liked the poem, and he joined it to music, and so that's what we have today. So it's really the product of two great lives. And you can see the theology that, that, that kind of streams through the poem. Just uh, I'll repeat just the, the, the lyrics so you can remember. The first stanza or grouping that we sang today describes the good news of the Savior's birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, Christ is born in Bethlehem. You can see all the dynamics of the birth story. But then the next stanza speaks to the mystical truth behind it, the exalted nature of how God could become man, something that we'll never understand, maybe all throughout the echoes of eternity in the future, I don't know. That one reads, Christ by highest heaven adored, where he was in the throne room of heaven prior to stepping into earth. Christ, the everlasting Lord, the eternal God, late in time, behold him come, all the prophets had spoken about his arrival for centuries, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. 
pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You cannot encapsulate the greatness of, of the, what the Bible teaches about the person and arrival of Jesus better than that. So there's the mystical and majestic truth of Christmas. And then the third stanza talks about what all this was done to accomplish and, and his greatness as the king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. That's talking about his great return as he comes to bring his power to the earth and healing to the nations. Mild he lays his glory by, stepping out of heaven and into time. Born that man no more may die. That was the great objective. He didn't come just to be a quaint story once a year he came to draw people out of darkness into eternal life born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth to come into your heart and dwell with you forever through the marvel of the holy spirit it's all there indeed hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king now there's theology Christmas is really a holiday of theology rivaled only by Easter. And there it is. And yet the, the beauty of all of that can escape us if we don't meditate on it. This is a song that describes what's known as the incarnation, the coming of God and, and becoming man. 100% God became 100% man without sin. And he went to that cross for us. That's the greater story of Christmas, as we talked about last night. The incarnation, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Now, all along this Christmas, I've been talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect Christmas gift, the perfect gift that God could give to lost people. Our first Sunday together, we talked talked about the first portion of this text, which talks about the virgin birth and talked about the importance of it and the, the greatness of it and the mystery of it. And then last night in our Christmas Eve service, we talked about Christ being the perfect payment. And we looked at verse 21, where he was given the name Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, which meant God saves because he came with a mission to save us from our sin. And today we conclude by talking about him as the perfect promise. And now we go into verses, uh, verse 22 and 23, which tell us that all of this took place to fulfill something, a promise spoken by a prophet. The prophet Isaiah. And if you're familiar with Christmas texts, the quote in verse 23 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to focus on that in the short time we have together. God with us. He came not only to be with us as Savior, but be with us as a friend. I want you to hear that loud and clear. The same thing I did last night, I'm going to transfer into today to make it simple and clear. We're going to talk because, again, this portion is built on another name. Last night, the portion in verse 21 built on the name Yeshua, Jesus. Now, another Hebrew name, Emmanuel, or I think as I've seen my Jewish friends pronounce it, Emmanuel. He is God with us, and that's it's all wrapped up in a name as well. So we're going to take a look, number one, at the meaning of the name, and number two, at the mission that it, 
that it gave him to fulfill. So let's look at the meaning of the name Emmanuel. You, you see it defined in the passage. It means God with us. There's a lot there. Now take a look at the passage from the beginning of, of verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. If you're a Bible reader, you want to take a look and ask the question, what's the all this really talking about? Because the Christmas story is a huge story. What is the all this referring to? Well, if you take a look at the context, it's referring to the virgin birth. The virgin birth was the fulfillment of a prophecy that a prophet named Isaiah made 700 years before all of this happened to Israel, to the southern kingdom, to, to Judah, actually. It was a promise made by a prophet. I think that's an interesting connection of words. We look at biblical prophecy and we, we think that Bible prophecy is interesting and it's intricate and it's fascinating and it talks about history and it talks about events. But don't forget, every prophecy is a promise. There's God's character behind every Bible prophecy. As hard as it may be for you to believe it could all come to pass because it, it's so fantastic or so many things have to come together, God's prophecies are promises. And Isaiah made a prophecy that nobody believed could come true. Virgins don't conceive on their own and bear sons. But he said it would happen in history. So this prophecy was a promise, and it really was a perfect promise of a perfect Savior who would come. And it would all happen through this history-marking miracle of the virgin birth. Check your history books. No one has ever been born in the same way before or since. It's history-marking. It's Jesus-marking. He's the only one. It was a miracle of the highest order. Now, a lot of people look at, at, at the virgin birth. Skeptics criticize it, but maybe even you as a Christian and maybe a younger Christian uh, still have a hard time wrapping your mind around it. And, and Well, you should because it is a marvelous miracle. It's not humanly explainable. But, you know, even if you're still having a hard time wrapping your mind around it, we are called to believe it. And this might help you understand it a little bit. Um, You've experienced something similar. And he's saying, wait, wait a minute, hold the bus. Hold on. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm never going to become pregnant. What, what are you talking about? Well, think a little bit about what happened to you spiritually. I mean, the birth of Jesus Christ was unlike any other birth. Mary's was an other world conception. The angel told her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's Luke 135. So whatever Mary experienced came from another world. It was God himself coming over her and creating life within her. The child conceived in her was from outside her world. The baby born in Bethlehem was of heavenly origin, wasn't he? That's what Wesley wrote in his song. God had entered the earth frame in the form and the nature of Mary's little son. He came into the world from above and his incarnation made possible our redemption. Now think about this connection. You may not see this or fully agree with me, but think about the fact that for you to become a Christian, you had to experience a new birth, didn't you? You had to be born again. And the Bible says you were born from above. You were born, born by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, so there's a little, uh, there's, a, there's a dimension of similarity to that. Jesus said that you must be born again of the Spirit, John chapter 3, in order to see the kingdom of God. So even as a new believer, if you're struggling with understanding the miracle of the virgin birth and how that could happen, understand that you do believe you're born again now, don't you? Yes, you do. Do you understand how that happened? Fully? Completely? No, you don't. Were you there when it happened? Yes, you were. (laughs) Now, for many people, it happens differently. For some, it's quite remarkable, the, more, the almost immediate change that occurs. For others, they grow up into the faith, and that spiritual transformation is hardly perceptible. But what do we see? We see the living God living in you and living out through your life. We see the very presence of the living God. We see the evidence of a supernatural miracle that occurred when you, as a sinner, came to Christ, and he came in the the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. He made you new. He created new life in you. He regenerated you. He brought light into darkness. He made you a new person. Jesus said, you are born again of the Spirit, born from above. Now, so that might help you understand a little bit that in a way you've tasted a little bit of the same miracle. I hope that helps you uh, as you understand that most of our, our Christianity is understandable, but some of it is mysterious, but we, lo- we walk in faith to hold on to it all. The virgin birth. The writer Matthew says, all of these events, the arrival of the angels, the virgin conception, all of this happened to fulfill a prophecy that was made 700 years ago. And the moment Mary conceived as the Holy Spirit brooded over her in some magnificent and precious way, she began living out a nine-month-long miracle leading to a lifelong miracle. Every day when she watched her son Yeshua toddle across the floor in Judea, in Nazareth, she was looking at a lifelong miracle. And when she, she saw him go and teach, she saw the miracle in action. Go and heal, saw the miracle grow. Go and die, saw the miracle culminated. And then when she saw him risen, the miracle fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ, his whole life was the fulfillment of a promise. When he was born, he was going to be called Yeshua as his given name. But the Bible also called him Immanuel, God with us in Hebrew. It's all wrapped up in a name, you see. Now, what did the name Emmanuel mean? Well, God with us, El, the last two letters of that word, are the standard Hebrew name for God. Listen to Hebrew Messianic worship today. You'll hear it a lot. El God, meant God, and then they would add modifiers on that would talk about a different quality of God. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, God exalted, whatever it might be for you. And Emanu meant with you as a companion. So Emmanuel means the God who is with you, who will not leave you, the God who is near you. Emmanuel. That's what it meant. I'll tell you what, that's precious to me because that's what I needed to have in my life as a broken young man. It's who I need today. 
Now, this wasn't an afterthought to God. Remember, he inspired Isaiah to predict it 700 years before. But being with his people had been on the mind of God from the very beginning of God's relationship with his people. There are multiple times in the Old Testament where the heart of God is shown to be with his people. The phrase, I will be with you, occurs nine times in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through Isaiah. It was the heart of God to go with them. In fact, he promised that even when they didn't believe he was with them, he would be. Isaiah 43, if you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. And that's true today for his people. You go through some deep waters of difficulty in 2023, he will be with you because that's his heart. It's been his commitment. And he demonstrated it to Israel and to the church all the way through history. In the Old Testament, he was present with his people by teaching them to build a place called the tabernacle and then later on the temple as a place where his presence could come and people could see the manifest glory of God because he wanted his people to know he was with them and he wanted a place to come that they could consecrate so his holy presence could be close to his people god has had a heart to be with you from the beginning in the old testament the presence of god was in the tabernacle and then later in the temple now in the new testament the presence of god first of all came according to hebrews 1 in a body in the person of the lord jesus christ when jesus looked at thomas i think in the upper room who was doubting him and wondering still who he was he says have i been so long with you and yet you do not know me he who has seen me has seen the the father his passion to be present with his people was then accomplished in the very physical person and presence of Jesus Christ on the earth. But now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, that, that body is in heaven. Jesus is physically in heaven right now at the right hand of God, praying for you, waiting to visibly and physically return to get you at the rapture, and then finally to return over all the earth at his visible second coming to rule the planet again. Oh, he's coming back physically, no question about it. In the same way that he ascended, the angel said he's coming back. Well, how can he be present with me at all times if he's in heaven in the great throne room? Because he sent the Holy Spirit. Don't you remember? He said, I'm going to be with my Father. Where I'm going, you cannot come, but I will, I will send the Holy Spirit, another just like me, and he will be with you, and he will never leave you, and he will comfort you and reveal all that I am to you. Now he is present with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just stay in the church building seven days a week and you get to visit him. Where is the Holy Spirit right now? Within you. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. So this has been the plan of God all the way along, to be with you. And the Gospel of Matthew here talks about Behold, Emmanuel, God with us. The promise was finally fulfilled in fullness when Jesus came to earth. I think it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 1, he opens with this great declaration, Behold, Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1, 23. Yeah, look at your book of Matthew sometime, and at the very last verse of Matthew's gospel, he closes with the fact that God will be with you forever when Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. I think that's fascinating. That's for free. You just think about that. God had a plan to be with me and with you. 
And by the way, he's not just with you as some kind of force or some kind of quality. So many people are confused about Jesus today. They come to believe in him, but they believe in him more as an idea or an influence or an invisible force. No, he is a person. God with us. It's always been that way. With Israel, they knew that they were not just in the presence of an idea. Moses called out to Israel and said, just remember, the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Numbers 14, 9. He knew that God in all of his person and power was with Israel and was with him. God's not an idea. He's a person and he's all there. And he's all there with you. He dwells within your heart and he is present with you in your life. And that's why the Bible said that David affirmed, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. And, and that's the greatness of it. Emmanuel. He's with you in person. I don't know what you're going to go through in the next year, but you haven't just come to believe in a principle. You haven't just come to believe in an idea. You haven't just come to believe in somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and whose teachings inspire you today. You believe in, in, in the literal God, the, the, the limitless God of the universe who also dwells in your being right now, miraculously by the Holy Spirit. It's the same miracle that the virgin birth was, and you take it by faith, and he will reveal himself and stand for you. I'll bet that there are miracle story after miracle story of so many of you who have seen that the Lord has been with you. And those will continue. So, Matthew said, the virgin birth, all of this took place to fulfill a promise. Now he's with us not only just to be present to help us, but he, was, he came to be with us and to be part of humanity for another reason. And that's where I get to what the second part, and I'll close with this. And that's a little bit about the mission of his life. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us is inexhaustible in terms of what it means. I've just touched on his physical presence and his spiritual presence with you. But he also came into our experience. He came to the life of the planet to go to a particular place, and that's the cross of Calvary. He came to die, but he also came to relate to you. This is the two things I want you to hear as I close. The mission of his life was not just to be present on the planet so he could be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, but he came to be like you and to be with you so he could go to the cross for you and on the way, in a sense, gain the experience needed to relate to you. Now you say, God gaining experience, how does that happen? I don't know. But the scripture says that Jesus Christ, through his human experiences of trial and suffering and pain and every other dimension of human life, because he walked through that, he is now able to comfort you and to be a high priest for you in a way that couldn't have happened if he hadn't been on the planet. It's not an isolated God who always stayed in the throne room. He came to a broken, ugly, stained, shattered, poor world, and he lived 
in the depths of it. Let's talk about this a little bit. The, the two reasons he came, the two parts of his mission, number one, were to die for you, but on the way to, to gain the experience to relate to you. Where do we see this in the Bible? Go to Hebrews chapter 2. You see it in many places. Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 10. You can run through all of those if you have time, but don't do that now. Just listen to me. In Hebrews chapter 2, it's captured in verses 14 to 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, who's he talking about? The children of God, verse 13, people like you and I, those that would come to know him. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, physicalities, physical bodies, a limited human existence, he himself likewise partook of the same things. When did that begin? Virgin birth, the miraculous conception. Through his birth, through his earthly life, through all every moment of it, he himself, God, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You're a human being. You've sinned in human terms against an eternal God. And God decided to send a perfect substitute for you. And that substitute had to be human, just like you. Human in every dimension, except having no sin. Virgin birth guaranteed that would happen. His life lived without sin all the way through it. That's why Satan so often tempted Christ to sin. If he could have caused Christ to sin in even the most minuscule way in one moment before he got to that cross and took the wrath of God, he couldn't have been your savior. He had to be perfectly human, but perfectly sinless, and he was both. And therefore, when he took on flesh and blood, he partook of the same things, verse 14. He went through death on the cross and he was able to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That's why he came. He came to die for you and win for you. Thank God he did it. Thank God he never sinned. He could never have sinned anyway. He was impeccable. But that's a f another whole story. He was perfectly sent for you and I to die for us. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of David. little clue for you there that he died just for the human race. Didn't die for angels, died for you. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest who makes propitiation that satisfies the wrath of God, made a payment that satisfied God for the sins of the people. That's the great first part of his mission, was to live as a man, a perfect man, and to get to that cross to make a perfect satisfaction for your sins. Now notice here, it talks about him not only as a savior, but a faithful high priest. Now what was a high priest supposed to do? He was supposed to go take the sins of people to God and plead to God for the people. Now, high priests were always chosen 
from among the crowd, from among the people of Israel. Angels were not high priests. A high priest was chosen because he was simply a man and he had tasted the battle of sin and personal failure and he could relate to the people whose sins he was taking into the temple. The Bible here says that the Lord Jesus Christ can also understand you because he walked among us. Look at the last verse, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I don't understand that verse. How can God need to go through something to do something for me? I don't understand it. But because he lived and he endured every temptation, the Bible says in chapter 4 of Hebrews, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be you and me, to be tempted in every way imaginable, and yet never to give in to sin. It's horrible to be tempted, isn't it? It's miserable to be tempted. Of course, you've heard the old preacher's story, what's the easiest way to make tape temptation stop? Give in. Our master never allowed himself that luxury. Thank God the universe wouldn't stand if that was the case. He withstood every temptation without sin. But he does know what it's like to live in a sinful world. And he does know what it's like to suffer. I don't know how to put all that together. But the Lord Jesus Christ gets you. And he gets what it's like to live in a broken world and to seek to please God. Let me close with the words of an author I read this week. At Christmas, when you see the child, see who he is, Emmanuel, God with us. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He had to learn. It's a miracle, isn't it? How do you figure that one out? He grew. He was glad. He was sad. He was angry. He was indignant at times. He knew what it was like to be grieved, to be troubled, to be disappointed, to be tearful, even to be overcome by the prospect of future events. He lived by faith in his father, he lived through the power of the scriptures that encouraged his soul. He dwelt in prayer, and there were days when he sighed with an aching heart. He felt everything. This Emmanuel, God with us. Infinitely rich, he became poor and assumed our human nature, entered our sin-polluted atmosphere without ever being tainted by it, took our guilt bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, was wounded with our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, went to heaven to prepare a place for us, sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts, right now makes intercession for us, and will someday come to take us to be with him. That's who he is. That's what his mission was. So God did, he really did make us the perfect promise <laughs> through Isaiah. 
almost 3,000 years ago now. And the morning Jesus was born, he kept it, and he keeps it still. Emmanuel. Charles Wesley, who I spoke about as it began, never got over this great promise. It was the subject of many of his poems and hymns, the incarnation and the greatness of Jesus. He had a brother named John, who one week after Charles was saved in a Bible study in London in 1738, his brother John came into the kingdom right after him. They joined in ministry together for quite a while, and they shared a lot of things together, and one of them was their great passion for the fact that God never leaves us. When John Wesley died, the last words on his lips were these, the best of all is God is with us. Amen.